Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Neurology. My name is Priya, and today we're discussing a paper on the prion model of neurodegenerative diseases. We're joined by one of the authors, Dr. Mark Diamond. Welcome. Hello. So first, Dr. Diamond, what is the prion protein, and how does it cause prion disease? Well, the um, the prion protein is a protein that is normally attached to the cell surface, and it projects outside of a cell. And its function on the cell surface is not known. But it causes uh, prion disease when it transitions to an abnormal structure. And this structure allows it to form assemblies or aggregates. And these aggregates have a unique ability to self-replicate, such that if they come into contact with the normal form of the protein, they can somehow convert it to an aggregated toxic form. How these aggregates are toxic in prion disease is not known. And it is clear, however, that like prion protein, many other proteins associated with neurodegenerative diseases form similar aggregates, which have a unique structure that is typically uh, called an amyloid structure, which basically means it's, it's an ordered assembly that has a specific protein conformation known as a beta sheet. So the prion protein has a normal cellular function. We don't know what that is. And when it goes bad, if you will, it causes these ordered aggregates to form, and they are self-replicating, and they cause neurodegeneration. In your article, you claim that the prion model of neurodegeneration might also explain the progression of other diseases. Can you elaborate which diseases you mean and how the prion paradigm can help to understand these disorders? Sure. The prion model basically is an idea that protein aggregates themselves can trigger their own formation, much the way a seed a crystalline seed uh, in a solution, say, of sugar can trigger the formation of sugar crystals if someone forms rock candy. The prion model basically says that these fundamental ideas of proteins that can switch shape and trigger their own amplification in an abnormal form is applicable across proteins that cause neurodegenerative diseases and which form these unique amyloid structures that I mentioned earlier. The diseases that we are talking about at the moment are myriad. The big ones that we know for sure have strong similarities to prion disease are diseases associated with the tau protein, which we study in my lab, and the synuclein protein. Tau is responsible for Alzheimer's disease and a bunch of other neurodegenerative diseases. And synuclein is responsible for Parkinson's disease as well as multiple system atrophy and diffuse Lewy body dementia. There are probably other proteins that could utilize these mechanisms of self-replication. Those are myriad, as I mentioned. Basically, proteins across the spectrum of adult-onset neurodegenerative diseases that all form these amyloid structures could potentially be involved. And have findings from animal studies contributed to this hypothesis? And what's the most compelling evidence? Yes, I would say the animal studies have played a key role in supporting this idea. One of the first studies 
um, that was done in animals was to inoculate amyloid beta protein, tau protein, into mouse models in which the mice overexpress either amyloid beta or tau. And these inoculations produced um, disease that was reminiscent of uh, the disease that developed spontaneously, but it accelerated this disease process. This experimental paradigm was used for decades to study the infectious nature of freon proteins. I would say the additional evidence from animal models that's very supportive is that we know in patients that networks appear to be involved in the neurodegeneration process. That is to say, groups of neurons that are connected to one another appear to degenerate in sequence, um, suggesting an agent or process that's initiating in one part of the brain and spreading disease through the brain. And in these animal studies, the inoculation of abnormal structures into discrete regions of brain has led to spread of pathology very widely in the brains of the animals, which is very consistent with what is seen in people. I would say some even more compelling evidence has come from recent studies having to do with distinct structures of pathological protein aggregates. In prion diseases, we know there are multiple presentations of the illness, some slowly progressive, some rapidly progressive, involving distinct regions of brain. And it is the structure of the prion protein, the three-dimensional structure of these pathological forms, that appears to determine what kind of disease a patient will get. Well, in the case of the protein tau, in our lab, we've been able to isolate distinct structures from human pathologies, but also to inoculate single structures into animals and create completely different neurodegenerative disease patterns. And this, again, is very consistent with what has been observed in the prion diseases due to the prion protein. So we've come to believe in our studies that apart from spontaneous uh, transmission of disease between individuals, which is something that the prion protein can do, um, in all other respects, these diseases appear to be very, very similar. And so we use the term prion now more generally just to refer to a protein that can assume an abnormal conformation that is self-replicating through living systems and which causes uh, discrete um, problems that are based on the specific structure that it assumes. And what is the most compelling evidence in favor of your model from patients with these disorders? Should our audience interpret that these neurological disorders are actually infectious diseases? I think the audience should definitely not interpret that these disorders are infectious. I think uh, in even in the case of prion disease, uh, there are virtually no cases currently of transmitted disease between individuals. Once we've become aware of the possibility that brain material can be infectious or blood, uh, for example, uh, the, the transmission rate now, I mean, it's basically an exceedingly rare event that someone catches a prion disease. There are a couple of lines of evidence from patients that the prion model is playing a role. The first is the progressive involvement of networks 
across different neurodegenerative syndromes. The idea that in neurodegenerative diseases writ large, as we start to study the patterns of neurodegeneration that occur, they are not random. They actually start in discrete areas and progress in a predictable way, presumably using brain neuronal connectivity as a, as a path, if you will. So this is consistent with something moving from cell to cell within the brain. And we're pretty sure that that's what the prion protein does. Um, the other thing that I would say is very compelling is that material from human brains can be found to initiate disease in a variety of models, in cell models and in, in animal models. And this is entirely consistent with what is seen in the prion diseases. So I would say the pattern of pathology, the unique patterns linked to discrete proteins are are very consistent with prion diseases. The idea that spread occurs due to some agent that is moving around. And finally, the fact that an agent can be purified from human brain that has the characteristics of a prion. These are all strong pieces of evidence that, that this is going on in people. I would reiterate, though, that short of some sort of strange uh, event where brain material is transplanted from a sick person to a healthy person, uh, that there is no evidence that these common diseases are infectious and the ordinary person shouldn't worry about this. James Sermeyer and some other researchers think that neurodegeneration, specifically the pathological spread of alpha-synuclein in Parkinson's disease, must involve some cell autonomous mechanism. Does your prion model of neurodegenerative disease consider the possibility of such mechanisms? I would want to clarify what is meant exa exactly by cell autonomous. Certainly, uh, the prion model predicts that in specific groups of neurons, the disease must initiate somehow. It has to start with a protein transitioning from one structure to another structure. So that is certainly a cell autonomous event. This process can probably occur through genetic risks, through environmental risks such as trauma or toxin exposure. But then once the disease gets going, the prion model predicts that agents, the pathological proteins basically are moving from this initial site where they're formed through to other cells in the brain, which would be, of course, a cell non-autonomous mechanism or non-cell autonomous mechanism. <laughs> the reason for specific vulnerabilities is not known in these diseases. Surmeyer has proposed that uni the unique firing patterns of specific cells in the brain make them particularly vulnerable to the development of pathology. I think that's possible, but I think any model uh, that's going to unify uh, disease mechanisms across uh, different diseases has to account for all of the different diseases. In other words, we can't just account for neurodegeneration in the synucleinopathies by saying that those cells have a specific firing pattern. We have to then account for degeneration in the tauopathies, for example, where a different group of cells also degenerate and also accumulate intracellular protein aggregates. The prion model can explain neuronal specificity, which is not widely appreciated, I think. And that basically is because of this idea that I expressed earlier, that distinct structures of proteins now are clearly able to target 
certain neurons over other neurons. And we observed this in a paper we published last year where we inoculated distinct structures of the tau prions into different brain regions. And we found that depending on the structure we inoculated, a brain region would or would not be vulnerable to that inoculation. So in other words, these were all aggregates. They all had amyloid structure, but only certain brain regions were vulnerable to specific structures and not vulnerable to other structures. So in that experiment, where it doesn't prove what's happening in people, but it says that the structure of an aggregate is actually sufficient to define the regions of vulnerability in a brain and indeed the rate at which a disease progresses in a brain. And um, this sort of is a counter-argument, if you will, to the idea that there's something about the way neurons fire that makes them specifically vulnerable to any particular protein. Of course, the firing rate or some other feature of neurons could make them vulnerable to infection, if you will, with these uh, aggregate structures. But um, fundamentally, we would argue that the, it's the aggregate itself that causes the, pro the, the neuron to get sick. And if these neurological diseases are prion-based, how should therapeutic approaches change to tackle new neurodegeneration? That's a great question. I think the excitement about the prion model is twofold. One, it's kind of a new way to think about why neurodegenerative diseases work. But the more important thing is that it actually does predict um, ways to intervene to prevent neurodegener neurodegeneration that have not previously been conceived. If we imagine an aggregate that must exit one cell, enter a second cell, and then somehow interact with the normal version of itself to corrupt that normal protein to an abnormal structure, there are a variety of individual steps that one can think of to intervene in. So for example, data from our lab suggests that the tau protein can get out of cells bind to adjacent cells on the cell surface, trigger an endocytic process, which then leads to conversion of all the protein on the second cell to the abnormal form. So one therapy, for example, is to target the protein while it's in transit between cells. And we think this explains the efficacy of immunotherapies or antibodies that target uh, proteins that are otherwise thought to be intracellular. Um, in animal models. And this is, was observed originally, uh, of course, for amyloid beta, which is an extracellular protein, but subsequently people tried inoculating, uh, excuse me, vaccinating mice to attack proteins such as synuclein and ultimately tau. And the efficacy of these antibodies is difficult to explain unless they are acting on protein that is outside of cells, which is basically a new idea because you have these proteins normally which are expressed inside cells. There are other, you know, more unclear mechanisms one might target at this point, but they're based on, on the cell biology of the propagation process. That is to say, proteins which somehow enable the aggregates to replicate themselves inside cells um, cofactors or other cellular machinery may, these other factors might potentially be new drug targets. And um, so these are basically new ways to think about targeting the diseases. In the past, people pretty much just thought about preventing aggregation inside cells, not targeting transcellular movement. And so 
to have a new way to think about approaching the disease is very exciting. Of course, the old way of just targeting protein aggregation still could work. It's not invalidating that older idea. It's just that there's a new way to conceive of therapies uh, in addition. I should add the final therapeutic approach that I haven't really mentioned is simply to turn off the gene expression of, or turn down the gene expression of uh, these, these potentially toxic proteins. And so far in animal models, this has worked using agents that can be delivered to people, and in fact, which have been approved to be delivered to people, such as antisense oligonucleotides um, and virus-mediated uh, expression of inhibitory RNA molecules. So there's a lot of exciting new ways to think about targeting these diseases. And for which of these disorders do you think that evidence will be available to confirm the prion paradigm of neurodegeneration in human beings? That is another great question. I would say the pharmaceutical industry has, to my view, been focusing a lot on the tau and synuclein proteins because they underlie the most common neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. So I would imagine that something that targets the tau or synuclein protein is probably going to be the first target that would come out of the prion model if, if such a if the model's even true and if, if these if these agents actually work. Um, I should mention though that you know we recently saw FDA approval of a drug uh, for a neurodegenerative disease of children, spinal muscular atrophy, which is based on antisense oligonucleotide delivery to the spinal fluid. And this isn't a, a therapy based on the prion model, but it's, it shows that a mode of therapy that could be potentially widely used actually can work and indeed has led to a dr an approved drug. So, you know, it's hard to predict where the first thing will come for these common diseases, but that would be, it would be my guess that tower synuclein targeting will be somewhere in the in the beginning. I should also mention that, you know, for decades people have been uh, attempting to turn off uh, or promote clearance of the amyloid beta protein. And these are clinical trials that are now in advanced stages. So we will certainly know more about targeting that protein in the coming years. The targeting of amyloid beta, though, did not arise from the prion model. That's So it's a kind of a separate case to, in terms of the question you actually posed. And finally, which research questions do you feel need to be addressed promptly and be considered as priorities for research funding agencies? I think the key to effectively treating these diseases will be detecting them before they cause symptoms or at very, very early stages of disease and instituting mechanism-based therapies. So to the first point, I think we need to figure out ways to detect the first stages of these diseases, preferably before people are even aware they have a process going on. And the analogy I like to make is how we screen for diabetes now. You can detect diabetes in the, in, with a simple blood test measuring blood sugar. That can be done long before a patient has physical manifestations of diabetes. So I think a lot of effort needs to be put into early diagnosis. The second thing is 
mechanism-based therapy. And this can only come from strong research funding to support biological studies of biological mechanisms of disease. I think the general phenomenology of uh, the prion model is pretty well established. It's possible to inoculate all different uh, sorts of protein structures into mice and create different diseases. The question is how that works, and then subsequently, once you know how, to make inhibitors of that process, test them in appropriate animal models, and ultimately test them in people. And I think it's only when we have effective therapies based on interrupting transcellular propagation that we'll be able to know for certain, uh, as certain as we can be, that these, this model has validity and actually uh, reflects what's going on in patients. Um, but I guess you could say that for any idea about any disease. Until you can intervene mechanistically and convincingly, you know, what happens in a dish or an experimental animal is still very, very far removed from, from a patient. Thank you, Dr. Diamond, and thank you, listeners. See you again next time.